0: Why do people attack the West and why within the West is there, does there seem to be a sort of uh, imp of the perverse that wants to destroy everything that gave us what we have? There are such things as British values, there are such things as uh, Western values, we've got to be confident in what they are and that is the only way that we will continue to thrive as a society and as a
1: civilization. The West is under attack we live in the freest, healthiest, and wealthiest societies in human history. Yet, as authoritarian and oppressive regimes threaten us from without, a new movement within tells us to feel nothing but shame for who we are. Welcome to the West. This is my take on the great and still unfolding adventure of who we are and why it matters. This is a history of how our extraordinary, unconventional civilization came to be, and why it must be defended. It's a fascinating and often unexpected journey, stretching back 15 centuries to the fall of Rome. And it starts with a mystery, the loss of Western self-confidence. What on earth happened to the West?
2: Hi you're watching Deprogrammed. I'm Poppy Coburn. I'm joined today by my co-host Harrison Pitt and we've got a really special guest today and that's Mark Sidwell. He's the author and the presenter of a new six-part series for the New Culture Forum entitled The West and it's going to be premiering this Sunday. So Mark, if I can start you off, what actually is The West? How did you find (laughs) that? I know that's a big question but...
1: It's a very big question and uh, you know we had to turn it into a six-part documentary series to get anywhere even close to to answering it. But The West is, it's a narrative history, the great history of our culture and our civilization. Mm And this used to be something that was was widely shared and known and taught it used to be taught particularly in the US they had more sort of university level entry-level courses Mm -hmm. on western civilization but here too you would find it part of the culture the the BBC in the late 80s made the triumph of the West with John Roberts a terrific sort of global history of the West and its Mm -hmm. influence Margaret Thatcher in the 1990s did a did a post-Cold War speech in the in the US where she said you know the West isn't just something that we had in the Cold War that helped us define ourselves against communism. It's something that really matters. It's who we are and it's our values and that shapes how we, you know, hold ourselves in the future against the, the future threats that are coming. We need to renew it. And what I was feeling increasingly was that that world was going away mm-hmm. and what we needed to do was retell that grand story for a new generation and with new technology mm-hmm. and, and the inspiration in a way came from the BBC's more recent attempt to revisit Kenneth Clark's Civilization which is right. a wonderful series mm-hmm. from, the, from the late 60s uh, but when they returned to it a few years ago they made Civilizations because mm-hmm. I think they felt and they had multiple presenters I think mm-hmm. they felt well we can't just tell this one single great story anymore we have to tell the global story and it wasn't right. it wasn't the worst series it, it had Simon Sharma it had some some really interesting episodes but at the same time it wasn't that that tale of the West as, as a remarkable and unique achievement and when the West did appear in it it tended to be as you know as mm. the baddie and yes. as the right. coloniser and as all of that well, h- how do you
3: account for what seems to exist in the culture at the moment this sort of cringing embarrassment about anything to do with our roots I and mean, wh- why do you think that, that the West does find itself in the dark?
1: I think people don't appreciate and this is why perhaps they may find this a surprising thing to have done but I think this is at the heart of the culture well, this is really what it is all about I interviewed Stanley Kurtz in America and he's a very interesting historian he's looked at some of the the false narratives about the the non-existence of the West in the American consciousness he's written some 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 very interesting historical research about this but one of the things he points out is really that the idea of the West was the, be- the attacks on that, the attacks on the, the, the courses in Western civilizations that they had in American universities, particularly say in Stanford in the, in the, I think like in the, in the late 80s, that was the beginning of America's culture war mm. because as soon as you stood up and you said actually this course which was enormously popular, it was mm. very successful, the students loved it mm. but then uh, activists started saying well this is racist you can't mm. do this anymore and it got shut down. Mm. It got shut down as a, as a sort of compulsory course and then they, they were trying to do something more multicultural. And Multicultural sounds lovely mm. doesn't it you know in a way right. we're going to look at other things and that's important and one of the things about the West is that it's, it's openness to other other influences but what that became very quickly despite those apparent mm. good intentions was attacks on the West an attempt to paint the West as evil mm-hmm. and at the heart of contemporary wokeness is this idea that Western civilization is systemically broken and evil right. and needs to be torn down and reformed yeah. and can't be talked about so only by defending it, by defending that narrative can you really begin to fight back because the hatred of the West, the, the attempt to throw out that story is where is where all of the contemporary madness really begins
2: So this does seem to be quite a contemporary development in how quickly you know the defence of the West, however you do want to define that, Um, you know, this real attack does seem to have been something that's happened quite recently, and as you mentioned with the BBC, even when they do push for, for example, a few years ago, you would have the, we need to take more people's perspective into account, now it's very explicitly that the West, as we may define it, as European civilisation, people and ideologies. Um, is something that's actively bad so it's not just that you know we want to open ourselves up to the contributions made in you know the far east or some early northern african you know contributions to the world it's this is uniquely evil there's something uniquely evil about this ideology and you see it a lot in the kind of woke mindset well the cool whiteness is a kind of pejorative you know it's something to attack people with and i'm kind of interested to see how you think that change happened so quickly you know what was driving this real hatred of of western civilization and why has it happened just the last 10 or so years and really ramped up I mean
1: I think part of what happens really is is that behind what to some people seems rather well-meaning you know is uh, this sort of multicultural terms there were very radical people in the academy and of course this was happening in universities Mm. which is often where there are very radical people some of the people behind those protests never had any real interests in sort of widening it out and talking about multiculturalism in, in, in some sort of inclusive way that included the West as a, as a partner they really were concerned about uh, colonial legacies and about some idea of a, a deeply criminalized yes. view of what was going on so then that became the story and you know people worry sometimes about the West and they accuse it this sort of narrative of mm. being Mm, illiberal and being something that you were talking about whiteness that's the sort of racially exclusionary Mm -hmm. and all of that. Not at all, not at all. There are times when people try and use it in that way and I I think Mm. that's why it's so important to reclaim it. I mean we we talk in the first episode, which people will be able to see this Sunday, Mm. about some of the, you know, the, the great often quite radical uh, black thinkers who saw themselves very much as Mm. part of the West. There's no sense of exclusion there and the danger, the danger when you stop having these mainstream conversations about the West Mm. and its importance in a way that brings people in and understands the West as something that you know had influence from all over the place is that you get extremists taking it up and using it in some sort of yeah. awful way as, as white identity or as something very narrow and th- this I think is an attempt to have a more honest and hopeful conversation mm. about mm. the West as a thing that brings people together and helps people belong and also you, part of what's happened I think is in the absence of the West in the absence in that, of that sort of idea of shared mm. identity you decline into this endless rivalry of identity because everyone needs some particular identity and Mm. it's
3: a world of civil war it just becomes a sort of um, the the will to power is the only thing which unites us and we sort of organise into our own tribal groups and you know
1: it's very Hobbesian very
3: Hobbesian yeah yeah, and it creates that sense of belonging is completely lost it's also very true to say as well I completely agree with you that um, whereas a lot of what we might call social activism in the past uh, couched itself in overtly Western principles and said things like you know Uh, Martin Luther King talked about the the Declaration of Independence as a sort of promissory note and I'm here to cash the check we we need to the West needs to live up to its own best principles that was the sort of pitch made by activists like Martin Luther King whereas today it's it's completely the other way around there's this sense that in order to exact the sort of social transformation that we want we need to completely alienate people Mm. from their history and we need to sort of unmoor them from their roots because once you've done that it becomes much easier And you
2: can create a new mythology yes. I mean I've seen this, um, I read an excellent article in the magazine IM 1776 and it was by um, a writer who wrote about um, Windrush in the popular imagination mm and how, you know, uh, going through kind of contemporary reports at the time this was like a very, you know, little known mm. actual docking of the ship the way that it's spoken about now we act as if like people from all mm. along the country were they? they, you know, waiting for these people to come because we've been begging, you know people from the, the West African colonies to come and help us <clears throat> but in reality um, the reason why we have rush so prominently in the national consciousness is because under Blair in the late 90s, early 2000s mm. he commissioned a documentary series mm. <laughs> um, which was all about the Windrush story and this was to kind of push the narrative that Britain is a multicultural country which it never has been and and always has been exactly whereas the reality is the complete opposite you know Britain by being an island nation is actually incredibly homogenous and has Mm. been for the vast majority of history Mm. so we can see that this is something that the left is quite happy to do which Mm. is to as Harrison said kind of uproot our own history and plant a new garden full of their own ideological
3: uh, completely true but it's it's also I think it's incredibly sinister and underhand mm. as well, because there's nothing new about the ide- the, the, the revolutionary idea that in order to advance the cause of a radical transformation, you need you need to alienate people from their history. You need to direct hatred against the past. Every revolutionary from uh, Robespierre to Mao has acknowledged that, mm. um, uh, but they, they did it in a very bloody fashion. Obviously, uh, the, um, you know, the, the French Revolution saw tens of thousands dead. Mao's Cultural Revolution saw millions killed, but, um, and, and this is something else that you have written about, Mark. Uh, the way in which uh, revolutionaries adopted a sort of new modus operandi mm. in the middle mm. of the 20th century and discovered that you know sort of overt political violence wasn't the best route to oh. achieving um, the, the sort of radical goals they had in mind anymore. They adopted you know, a, a more Gramscian methods, a sort of long march through the institutions. Right. H- how much does that feature in your documentary as a way of, as a way of explaining how we've come to be where we are today?
1: It's not so much in the documentary itself. I, it's more that having written that book and thought mm-hmm. about those things, it turns my mind to the mm-hmm. question of these meta-narratives and how important yeah. they are. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't, this is uh, an episode of The Simpsons that I don't know if you you know. It's where um, I'm a man of culture. So you're <laughs> a <man> of culture. <laughs> this, is, this is high culture. <laughs> we, we, have <laughs> to, we have to we have to we have to update high culture. Absolutely. <laughs> um, they they have the statue in, in the town of Springfield and then someone is doing the research into his Lisa right? uh, the, you know the, cl- the clever child yeah. and she discovers that oh he was a pirate and he was yeah. all of these terrible things and yeah. he didn't really say a noble spirit in Biggins The Smallest Man which is like what's written on the yes, statue yes, yes. and it's the whole episode and this was this little while ago, this yeah. like 10-15 years ago um, and then at the end of the episode she's about to tell the whole town and then she, she decides, well no this is terrible, we need this story we need to be inspired by the mm. idea of these mm. things even if mm. you know the historical truth yeah. is more, it's more complicated Absolutely. so she just, she, do, she doesn't actually do it but of course we've lost that understanding and now mm. people are just casually tearing things down they don't understand mm. with the West mm. what they do they conflate two things. You know, they they talk about the West in the late 20th century, and they say, "Well, this this is being used in this terrible neo-colonial evil way." And they're looking back to the mm. 19th century, mm. where where sometimes mm. you know Western civilization was seen as a, a as a as a thing that justified some some quite bad and oh. terrible things mm. that were done around the world. But in the 20th mm. century, post-war, in the 50s, mm. 60s, in into the 70s, the West was being used. As the term to understand liberal civilization and what that was bringing to the world, liberal mm. democracy, mm. freedom of speech, all of these mm. things. Indeed, even before that, there were people using the West to understand I- in the Second World War what the Nazis mm. were, how unwestern they mm. were, how poisonous they were, mm. and to stand against them. And so, what they didn't, what they don't realise when they do all of this neo-colonial stuff, mm. talk, harking back to nineteenth-century things, is they don't understand what the West become, and what it stood for. And when they tear it down that's what they're tearing down they're oh. tearing down the defense of free speech the defense like, of liberal democracy and so now now that they've stopped teaching it now they've thrown out the West we suddenly find all of these things are out the window
2: yeah, I mean if I may the you've, you've mentioned liberalism and liberalism is something that you can't really um, disentangle from the West and you know uh, liberalism to me is not something that actually exists anymore it was a historical precedent that grew out with the previous age of enlightened absolutism which you know came through the feudal system so these were material responses to the issues of the day that's why we have parliamentary supremacy that's why we have media freedoms that's why we have freedom of association these were things that came out of the historical context and I think what we've seen happen in the last hundred or so years is you've seen liberalism as it was supplanted with uh, democracy or mass democracy as it is today and I think what a lot of wokism is ironically is rooted in some of these historical structures and that this is mass democracy taken to its furthest conclusion. This is the idea of the right of the mass to overrule, <laughs> you know, uh, those individual rights, you know, just taken further. And so, of course, the same people that kind of rally against it are uh, do have an intellectual tradition that's rooted in this. Although that's not to say that your average activist knows this or no. acknowledges this, and they're not thinking this. You know, if someone trying to pull down the statue of Winston mm. Churchill is not being influenced by Locke, no, <laughs> um, no, or no. you know, but but it's part of that wider, you know, understanding of history as a mm. set of material process. Mm. which respond to the issues of the day Mm. and I think if we are to grapple with why the West has fallen in the way it has Mm. we also do need to have that kind of historical background which is why I think it's so interesting in your documentary you start at the beginning or what we popularly imagine to be the beginning and that's you know the classical world Um, and I'd be interested if you could speak a little bit about why you chose to begin the documentary with the classical world
1: well it's an interesting thing, what I wanted to do was to do um, a narrative of the West that was Mm. familiar that was accurate, that was up to date with the latest research and that kind of addressed some of the newer critiques of it that have come up so while I do indeed talk about you know the importance of Rome Mm -hmm. and and, and Greece as as key influences in the West where I actually start is where Kenneth Clark starts in his Civilization, which is actually with the fall of Rome Right, the the Dark Ages the Dark Ages as such but I'm I'm trying to and this is more of an enlightenment um, the uh, tradition that's fallen out to rehabilitate in a way the barbarians because they did yes. bring something very new and energetic to western culture and that traditionally has been understood but, it, but it's rather gone away but but this is also partly to to address so there's a there's a narrative of the, the, the critiques of the West and they say well this doesn't really exist you have just made this up this, this whole narrative because there mm. are lots of people that inherited the classical tradition that was true in the Arab world as well and you know there was no pure transmission and you lost all these Greek books for centuries and mm. there is some truth in that there is some truth in that and there, but they of course just think that means well there's, there's no <laughs> you just throw out the whole thing we don't need it but there is a reality to the West and in many ways the reality of what this new thing that began to form it began to form in the wake of Rome in this place where you suddenly had a very divided Europe in some ways a very primitive Europe and uniquely that created an environment in which one great Empire couldn't take over and dominate and, and yeah. a few people at the top being in control and that's mm. in a way the freakish thing that happened in the West perhaps for quite accidental reasons that allowed it to develop in very very unusual ways that mm-hmm. really didn't happen elsewhere
3: the spirit of competition fr- 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 which existed from, fr- from that point onwards is that what you're saying? That that because w- I, 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 Neil Ferguson in his book civilization the West and the rest which seeks to account for the way in which the West um, you know in the modern world has enjoyed such a preeminent role as compared with China and other places points to the fact that there were these sort of warring kingdoms in the West whereas China at the time was this sort of great big you know unitary monolith and you know that 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 means that um, you know there's less likely to be sort of development there as there is in, a, in in western Europe where there was much more competition yeah. between states is that is that important to your narrative
1: uh, absolutely it's yeah. the competition between yeah. nations but it's also the competition within you know i mean mm. of course there was always there was always the church and the crown and there mm. was also competing uh, forces where you've got mm. the cities and the commercial interests you've got the nobles mm. and in fact harrison of course you're actually uh, featuring yes. from time to time because yes. we did do a, an interview very early yes. on in the, in the process I mean, and one, one or two clumsy contributions no, which, no, which, no. Are, which i hope, <laughs> which i hope have been skillfully edited uh, there, <laughs> there, there was one which <laughs> for, which I always remember which was very good where you were talking about how the West is a place of rivalry yes. an intellectual rivalry yes. and how I don't know people, some people didn't like Shakespeare and you know Yeah that sort it's of fight within unlike, the West Unlike for
2: example if we were to use the example of uh, you know a feudal China which had a very bureaucratic system where Conformity was really the yes. the, the. This is star. what Ferguson's talking about yeah, yeah, Of course yeah. and th- that's the difference that's mm. the kind of one of the unique selling points mm. of why um, Europe produced such great literature and mm. art and also why we had so much military mm. supremacy for such and, a long and
1: time. voyages of discovery mm-hmm. yes. so what happened in China is that you know they, they actually had extraordinary state capacity they built yeah. these great mm. treasure fleets, they sent mm. them out but it was run by a court eunuch and as soon as the Emperor decided well actually mm. we're not going to do that anymore you know, burn down all the ships, uh, ban all the ships, no one, no, mm. one, no one is allowed in Europe you couldn't do that Columbus just would go to a different monarch in yeah. fact it's very interesting he went to Henry VII in England and, and Henry VII said oh, yeah yeah I'll, I'll do that but by the time his brother who'd been sent got back to say mm. England's going to fund your voyage he'd already left cos <laughs> Ferdinand <Fermanente laughs> Isabella had done it so yes, history might exactly. have been very very different
3: but it is very true and yet you're right that is one of the points I, I did try and get across is that the West ever since Socrates the West has been in a, in a sort of endless dialogue with itself and often it's been in, in, incredibly violent, violent but it has cultivated this extraordinary sense uh, for, for this extraordinary love almost of d- d- division and quest and questioning and interrogating and revising and it's, it's it's dynamic and it's regenerative and and all the rest of it and obviously that accounts for much of its um uh de- developmental quality over time and that's that's a very good thing but the, 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 And this, this speaks to something that Poppy was mentioning earlier, the, the problem arises, I think, when that sort of relentless uh, attachment, sorry, that attachment to relentless philosophical self-criticism and improvement degenerates into a sense of um, s- self-destruction, mm. in, into, into a certain kind of appetite almost f- f- for suicide in a way. And and
2: pathological th- altruism, I think, is probably one of the ways that I like to describe how um, the West's current political mire yeah. quagmire that it's fallen into sure. is that, um, so, so I actually see this a lot in a lot of well-meaning defences of the West that are coming out and for example um, people who are defending Britain's colonial legacy and what I see from it is I'll see people say well look at all the benefits that we brought to our former colonies we sure. gave them a bicameral parliamentary system you sure. know, we helped build infrastructure for some of these countries and all of this and it's like okay that's a very valid point but you're you're already losing by seeing it only in terms of the people on the outside, rather than realising that this is actually something to be Mm. proud of because it it benefited Britain and it benefited the people of Mm. Britain and it you know allowed for by constantly seeing our own achievements as from the outside and how they benefit people Mm. from outside of our own cultures and by constantly deferring to the multicultural ideal we forget ourselves and I think this is a problem I see a lot in some Conservative spaces Mm. where we're so desperate to not be seen as being mean um, that we actually end up denigrating our ancestors (laughs) and you know these great traditions that we are part of
3: and to to the extent that we defend them we only defend them in terms Of course of the the ideology that
2: we live in today and uh, the kind of moral Mm. framework that we live in today
3: Yes, but the, 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 and I I don't disagree with that but the the point I was uh, trying to make with with, with, with the question of suicide because the thing you were saying earlier Poppy, you were saying that um, a lot of this stuff whether it's sort of French jacobinism or Uh. Soviet communism or you know totalitarian wokeism such as exists today one of the awkward questions that I think uh, exists for you Mark is that this stuff doesn't hail from Africa Mm -hmm. or from the Far East this stuff is cultivated within the West and so that same love of self-criticism which I was praising Uh. um, as it manifests in Socrates and as it has existed um, ever since Socrates the West being in constant dialogue with itself it can degenerate into a kind of self-hatred, it can degenerate okay. into, a, into into a, a self-criticism which is so strident that all of a sudden the west is uh, giving birth to forms of political messianism which threaten to devour it from within
2: Paul Gottfried describes um, it's it's a little bit of a, a bastardisation of the term you know mm. that the new world is trying to be born but it can't uh, I think that so Gramsci and you know um, now's the time of monsters and it, he actually says well any new age is uh, built on patricide and so if you want to have a new age then you need to kill the old one and I think that's what you're seeing a lot now Basically. is that it, this kind of ritualistic slaughter yes. of the past um, and disavow of it yes. and it, again even it shows how far we have fallen in that even Conservative voices are still falling falling into that same kind of framework of being like tiptoeing around it and I think unfortunately you do mm. have to be somewhat dogmatic in your defence of the worst otherwise you're, you're already kind of fighting a losing mm. battle mm. if you're constantly conceding well yes this was very bad and this person was very bad and this intellectual tradition was evil and well that's not technically part of the West, mm. sometimes you do have to be a bit full-freighted mm. and uh, kind of <laughs> you know I agree
3: but it's also important to emphasise that uh, um, we, we should be um, uh, if we go if we are going to adopt this sort of bird's-eye perspective because mm. you're saying we, well, we, should, like, we should refer to ourselves a little bit more we shouldn't sort of write ourselves out of the story yeah. I would agree with that but even if we mm. are going to refer to this sort of bird's-eye perspective which tries to analyse the West from outside in sort of detached mm. uh, moral terms we should look we should be evaluating it on the basis of the ways in which it is unique not in the, the on the basis of the ways in which it's like everywhere else so when mm. the, these the, the work activists sort of you know trawl up slavery and colonialism and you know, massacres and I mean there's nothing uniquely Western about any of that
1: sort of uh, stuff and in fact I think the most distinctively Western things are the things you know those are the things actually and this is where civilization gets a little complicated yes civilization in many ways except in the West in some ways mm. is Imperial, Colonial, okay. it, it, it often involves slavery, is oppressive, is centralised mm. the trap in a way of civilization is that the best way to become very wealthy and have a few people living in luxury and maybe mm. doing a bit of sophisticated yeah. culture mm. is, is to wildly oppress all your peasants and I mean you mm. get stuck you can't mm. then do industrialization sure. which is why it never happened anywhere else but the west didn't do that mm. and so actually the West which is partly why I, I talk about the barbarians as sort of the beginning right. you know the West was primitive for a really long time China China wasn't India wasn't the Arab world wasn't sure. at the same time but that sort of lack of oppression yes. that sort of decentralized civilization mm. in a way mm. uh, provided something really very different mm. and to the extent that the West has been oppressive mm. those have been the moments when it's fallen back into the more conventional ways of doing mm. things yes. In a
3: way, which makes it just which it ma- which which Oh, which is which is to say nothing more than that the West is composed of humans that the, the Western civilization has been made by human beings just as every other civilization right. has been and if we are so, what, what if we're going to um, you know focus on iconic figures like whether it's Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill if we're going to evaluate them t- truly we should be looking at the ways in which they were unique and the ways in which they were special and, ex- mm-hmm. and exceptional not 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 the fact that they are being human beings you know had had commonplace vices just like everyone else that that should be the focus
2: um, could I possibly ask who you've been interviewing because I know that Harrison's already been interviewed for the documentary <laughs> but I was wondering who else was contributing
1: Yeah, it, it's been a thrill, I've had a chance to sit down with, with all sorts of, of really interesting people in the in the UK and the US actually because mm. we've also been in the US, we filmed it in, in, oh, in Washington you? DC so um, I was talking to to Stanley Kurtz over there mm. who I think I, I mentioned earlier, I was yeah. talking with George Weigel very excitingly, we were talking with Andrew Claven of the of the Daily Wire he oh, was nice. absolutely terrific and really inspiring so it was a wonderful moment in, in episode 2 where he talks about the Pieta and it's uh, mm. Michelangelo's Pieta and it's just beautiful and there, there are moments like that but, uh, but people in the UK as well got um, the Telegraph columnist uh, Zoe Strimple, we've mm. got uh, John O'Sullivan, mm. a sort of great conservative figure um, oh yeah I hardly remember them all there are just so many <laughs> but it's, it, 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 it's really very exciting yeah
2: so, yes, it's interesting. You said that you've been filming. Have you been filming around Europe as well? Yeah, as we went
1: to we went to Rome and we went oh. to Florence uh, and and all around the UK. You know, mm. we went up to Scotland uh, to look at some uh, some of the sort of industrial heritage mm-hmm. up there. Uh, we went to to Cambridge. We went to see um, John Locke's grave, in oh, yes. Essex, um, mm. and we went to the the place where Magna Carta was sealed. Mm. One of the things that's very interesting is we found ourselves going to places that are slightly run down, places where the Americans in particular back in the 1950s put up plaques saying this was very important in yeah. the history <laughs> of the West yeah. and since then they've just slightly rusted <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it sort of made us feel like you know yeah. finally someone's going back So it was
2: almost bit. like a, a re-examination, a rediscovery of A of, little of bit, that.
3: Yeah. Yes. yeah But you, um, you, you said it, you know, you, there are six whole episodes of this Six whole episodes, how is, yes. it, how is it organised
1: thematically? It's sort of organised uh, with a slight historical uh, and thematic development okay. so as I say it's starting with the fall of Rome and yes. sort of the first episode is introductory, mm. it talks about this sort of very early culture of the barbarians uh, and it ends by talking about the importance of Christianity and then the second episode mm. looks at the influence of Christianity okay. this, the sort of thesis that Tom Holland and, and sure. historians like Larry Sedentop have developed yes. in recent years and then um, we continue to sort of move forward in history and then we're, we're, we're looking at mm. um, the rule of law and the development of that mm. and, and some of the stuff about mm. competition in Europe so and that's talking mm. about Magna Carta and so forth so it's the third episode And gosh let me see there <laughs> the fourth episode is is science and yeah. technology the, the, the invention of science sure, if you like sure. itself which was a thing that needed to be invented but also the the technological ingenuity which stretches back into the middle ages mm. uh, I look at spectacles and and clocks mechanical clocks which are both extraordinary very specifically western inventions Uh, and then the the fifth episode is um, perhaps the most controversial in some ways it deals with the the age of discovery uh, slavery in in the 19th century empire all of that but more importantly it argues the case for where the West's wealth really comes from because this is an important conversation right this is the, this is the claim mm. yeah. it's, it's the Williams thesis it's mm. sometimes called it's all about mm. slavery slavery mm. is the mm. basis for capitalism mm. it's why you're rich you exploited mm. people in the colonies. And it's mm. simply not true. No.
2: Well, as you said, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, in, in a way, uh, mm. if you were to remain a slave society, you were massively held back by it. Well, I and mean, when you can look at the examples of the, s- the American South. The South lost the of Civil War. Right, right. It was, right, it was, right it was, exactly. It, it was an and, agrarian
3: and, and backwater. Speaking
1: yeah. of who I interviewed, I was absolutely yeah. delighted to be able to sit down with Nigel Bigger just before oh, oh, book yes, his book on colonial agrarian. Yeah, it was, it was a week before the book came out. So oh, he wonderful. was primed with all the arguments, <laughs> and we had a wonderful conversation. So that was that was a real thrill uh, another,
3: another very useful shorthand way of uh, discrediting the thesis that the the, the West's treasure can it's fund, the West's wealth is fundamentally based on oppression and mm. I mean, again to go back to the point I mean slavery and, coloni- the, slavery and colonialism were the least inventive things that the West mm. did mm. I, I mean everyone had been doing that for centuries you, you, you're going to have to answer the question well why did the Arab world not become you know supremely wealthy mm. why did Um, the Mongolian Empire not become supremely wealthy clearly it can't be put down to slavery and colonialism because everyone was engaged in that and it was the West which um, advanced ahead of the rest and and
2: it's so important to discuss this now I mean it it shouldn't even have to but it is because it has ramifications for us if we allow the lie to be propagated that the West has only ever been wealthy and successful off the backs of um, other people who were involved in chattel slavery Mm. then that makes the question of something like reparations almost a settled debate mm. because then how could you possibly defend not giving reparations if the entire wealth the, mm. of the country that we're living in today is off the backs of other people who we mm. exploited mm. you know it, that's why it's really really important that we do have voices like yours and your contributors kind of mm. saying that, like this is just complete ahistorical nonsense it's what people want to believe not what actually is the case
1: Absolutely and I talk a bit about capitalism as well because of course mm-hmm. the real source of the wealth is is about increased productivity right. it's about capitalism competition, it's about the competition, of labour. Yeah. Smith and so on Sure um, So you know I think it's really exciting to make that argument so very mm. very pleased with that and then we round off the series oh, yes, with, with <laughs> no, <laughs> There's so much uh, we round off the series with episode 6 and that looks at the enlightenment and yeah. the sort of dueling enlightenments of yeah. uh, you know the, the Scottish and the French if well, you like indeed, yes and that gets into yeah. the question of that revolutionary tradition the, the Marxism and, uh, and communism and, and those horrors and argues really which the whole series is arguing sure. that it's that, that rooted idea of the West that idea of we understand where we come from but we want to try and make it better it's not finished we're always going somewhere forward Mm. that's how you do it that's how the Scottish Enlightenment did it which led to America uh, in many ways and it's not how the French Enlightenment the sort of year zero thing uh, worked Um, so yeah and at the end really I'm optimistic some people talk about the West and they're despairing but one of the things that I found working on this series is that it reminded me that the West it, it it's always in trouble yes. but, but it always it always finds a way yes. through and yeah. i think we should we should be confident in it mm. and perhaps that confidence comes when you stop thinking oh it's all it's all gone, yeah. it's all mm. going away and remember that there's no reason to think that the West's I mean, best days are still yes. ahead
2: of it You make such a good point you know whenever I do read uh, historical texts of writing mm. for example at the time of the Civil War people constantly remaining that everything is lost oh, all yeah, is yeah, gone yeah, yeah. you know um, and we do find ourselves in a very difficult situation at the moment and mm. we shouldn't downplay that but I think documentaries like yours mm. do place that in a broader historical context and I hope will probably bring viewers out of that kind of mire of, you know fatalism and depression and mm. say this heritage that we all share is worth fighting for and it's Mm. worth defending Yeah,
1: and just to show people it again, you know because I think sometimes part of when when these series don't happen you just don't encounter the Mm. material Mm. you know when uh, Kenneth Clark's Civilization came out it was one of the great new things on colour TV and suddenly after you know in the midst of the sort of Mm. after the post-war gloom in everyone's living room they suddenly got the treasures of western mm. civilization in like full colour yeah. it was yeah. just yeah. this amazing beautiful thing even without his, his, mm. his narrative and uh, you know I, I hope we've been able to do something of that you know it's just a little a little encounter with these beautiful cool. things whether it's the more famous ones like yeah. Michelangelo's David mm-hmm. or, or something more obscure like mm. the Frank's Casket which I talk about in episode one which is this uh, whale ivory carved thing in the British Museum which is mm. just fascinating and you see there this strange medley of influences—you mm. know, you get the the Anglo-Saxon, that you get these runes, this sort of bit of barbarians, <laughs> bit a bit of Romulus and Remus, the classical mm. tradition you mm. were talking about—and then at the centre of it, the Magi coming to the Christ Child—and mm. you see all those things coming together in this still quite primitive, that's mm. very early piece. But you see that's the West, the fusion of these things into kind of yes.
2: one object. Yes. yes.
3: So this is coming out on Sunday, Mark. Um, why should people go to watch it?
1: I hope they will be surprised because it it looks at the narrative that they may think they know in a new way. I think they should be inspired by it, and I hope they should be intrigued. They should be reminded that there was something that we used to talk about, and there's no reason that we can't continue to talk about it today, that the West can be remade and remodeled in a fashion that speaks to us in the 21st century and will continue to speak to us. That if we stop engaging with it and Mm. just say, oh, we don't really need that, we'll we'll move on to some new narrative, Mm. we may find that we've discarded the most valuable things that that we didn't realize we were throwing away. Uh, Things like free speech, things like liberal democracy, even perhaps science. And we'll be reminded of that. if we we just hold on to the west Mm. so we just need to encounter it encounter its strangeness Mm. and its power and its wildness Mm. and the beauty of the things that it makes
3: Splendid I won't add anything to that. Nothing thank needs you. to be added to that. Well,
2: thank you very much, Mark. Um, that was wonderful. So just to remind us again, you can watch the first episode on Sunday um, and when are the next episode's coming out. They
1: should be coming out
2: every week every after week that. Every week on Sunday, wonderful. Well, thank you again, Mark and I'm Poppy. This is my co-host Harrison and you've been watching Deprogrammed.
0: Hello, if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below, or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Bye.